Hi, CB Carlisle. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm I'm doing great. It's been a great day. How are you doing, Rumble? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing pretty uh pretty okay. How how are you, how are you doing, Jackson? Good. I I took I took a well needed nap, and I feel much better about world and life. There so you I go. Can't complain. That's all you need sometimes. Well, anyway, uh, I don't I don't know much about you, uh, CB. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and uh, and when you started pursuing music? Oh man, um, I started playing music when I was fourteen. When I uh, well, I started playing guitar when I was fourteen. But I played music since I was really young, like clarinet and stuff. Um, I like started playing clarinet because Squidward played clarinet when I was like nine. And then uh, when I was 14, I saw School of Rock and then that made me play, like learn guitar. And um, then it's just been constant, constant from there. No breaks, pretty much. I think that's the coolest reason someone has told us that they picked up the guitar. It was true. Like my parents had like tried to force me to take guitar lessons for years when I was a kid, and I hated it because I hated like being forced to do something. And then like the night that we watched School of Rock, I stayed up like I snuck downstairs where my guitar was and stayed up all night trying to play it because of like the kid in School of Rock was like my age in the movie, and I was like, holy crap, I could shred like that, and I like that changed changed guitar in my mind. That's pretty badass. I I actually have a f- funny story about School of Rock. Maybe it's more heartwarming than anything, or I don't know. But um, yeah, I used to go up um to my father's house, who lived a bit far away, during the summer uh, when I was very very young. And uh, every night since it was the summer, he'd allow us to pick a DVD from his collection as long as it was age appropriate to uh to watch because i i roomed with my stepbrother at the time and um and and i was always just so excited for it and like school of rock was on heavy rotation for me and i'm guessing it's a big reason why i'm so obsessed with music and live music and stuff is just because i just freaking love that movie i thought it was the coolest shit ever it is a badass movie it's so good. And we just like Pedro or not Pedro wasn't there, but my friends, um, like my brother and us, we all just saw Tenacious D a few weeks ago at the oh, St. Augustine awesome. Amphitheater. And we were like right up front and it was like a, the dream of all dreams. I was like, this has been like 10 years in the making and I'm so happy. It was the best. Is Jack Black everything you hoped he'd be? Oh yeah. And more. He was amazing. He was so fu- freaking funny. Yeah. So um when you uh when you got started making your own music was uh did you start with a solo project or was your first uh inclination to uh start a band? Man, I was I mean first stuff I really started writing was super cringy like I was like 14 like I was like 14 trying to write like rock operas. Um, oh yeah, we've all been 14. Because I was, like, obsessed with Green Day, obsessed with, like, American Idiot and 21st Century Breakdown. And then also, like, 
really into like hardcore music then like you know bring me the horizon ask alexandria and dev wars prada and all them and i was like i gotta make like an emotional hardcore rock opera when i was like 14 years old and it was like i would fill like entire notebooks with the worst lyrics you could ever imagine and then um (laughs) it wasn't until i think my junior yeah my junior year of high school um, my friend Kyle or Kyle Graman started like had a band and they're gonna open for Wage War. Um, who's like our friends who are now really big. Um and then like four days before the show, all of his band quit. They all broke up. So then me and a few of our friends like became a band and in four days opened for Wage War and like had to write all original like a bunch of original songs in four days. And it was like one of the worst shows of all time for us. Like we, it was so bad, but it was like the craziest being thrown into like a band scene ever. And then uh, from there, we just were like, well, I guess we're a band now. And we just started going from there. Dude, that's fucking rad. How, how big were Wage War when you opened for them? Cause they're like, they're doing big places now. Oh yeah, they're they're uh they were like still kind of like local legends, but not like bigger than Central Florida probably. But we played at the I'm from Leesburg, um, and they played at the Leesburg Opera House, which is like this weird kind of like brick building downtown. So it was like it's probably like two hundred people there, maybe. Okay. Um like definitely like a big show if i played that show now i would still say it was pretty big but yeah like definitely not what wage war is doing now dude i was i was uh i was just at janice live shooting wage war not long ago and i think they sold it out like they i think janice live is like 1500 or 2000 cap and they sold that place out and that was just super fun show so that's really awesome you got to open for them Dude, it's awesome. Seth, like Seth from Wage War, the guitar lead guitarist, and I, like we're kind of buddies. And um, Woody, the other singer and other guitar player, is awesome. He like sold me my first big amp because he worked at the Guitar Center in Ocala, and like threw in like the cable for free. I like just have always looked up to those guys. I remember in college, I went to college in St. Pete at Eckerd College. And um, they were playing at this bar downtown called the Foo Bar, which is like a tiny, tiny place, and um, kind of like, kind of like Uncle Lou's or Grumpy's, like uh, Uncle Lou's or Grumpy's size place. And um, brought one of my friends, and it was literally Wage War, me and my one friend, and then like two regulars in the bar. The only people in the entire building were like, and so like we sat, we watched them, and I was like, man, this is crazy. And then. I was just with that same friend this weekend, and I was like, dude, remember that band we saw? They just sold out Janice Live, dude. And he was like, that's crazy. So I always think about that when I'm, like, discouraged or anything. I'm always like, we saw Wage War and Fubar with, like, nobody there. And so it's it's a story of hope, and they're they're awesome. That's wild. Um, Dude, I've, I've played Lose a few times, and... Uh, and not a lot of people usually come out, um, especially since, you know, Send and Delete, or, you know, my band is um, a lot more Newport Ritchie area, like Newport Ritchie holiday oh, kind of. Yeah. So it can be hard to get people out in downtown Orlando. But um, 
Uh, I'm going on tour with this band called Neverless. Uh, they they hired me for the tour to play bass. Nice. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they they've got some real traction in the scene right now. And uh, Lou uh, Luz is uh, one of our stops on the tour uh, when we when we get back to Florida. And I'm pretty excited because I think that they have the capacity to like fill that room, and it's gonna be awesome. Lose. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I uh, I was at this. Um, so the singer from Dial Drive, which is a big local band, throws this big festival, which you might have heard of, called Florida Underground Fest, um, in Orlando mm-hmm. every year, and uh, Neverless was there last year and they played at grumpy's which is just a lose but on the other side of the wall pretty much about the oh, yeah, same we're playing size there and friday they... oh yeah oh yeah and, and and they completely packed the place same with uh bargain bin heroes who i also shot like um yeah it was it like small little places like that it's fun as a photographer when i don't even know like how the hell i'm gonna shoot because there's so many people inside but yeah i don't mean to interrupt you cb feel free to keep talking Oh, no worries. I, I would say lose like lose it's kind of it's easy to overlook because it's so kind of dingy and there's no stage real and like but it's like I in my head lose is like the heart of the Mills music scene like Mills has like Will's pub and then Grumpy's and then Uncle Lou's right next to it and Uncle Lou's like for me is like heart and soul of it because Lou will just like It'll be like closing time. He'll be like, who wants to stay? And people want to stay. And he'll just go and like lock the door. People hang till like five in the morning, just like playing music. And it's just, I don't know, like when you can fill up loose and the energy's there, it feels like, it feels like a moment in like a music documentary someone would be talking about in the future. Like, man, yeah. there was this place called Lose. It was just one room and there was no stage and everyone would go crazy in there. And so I have a huge soft spot for Lose. We, we play there a lot yeah lou seems like just such a genuine dude too he just does it because he likes to do it dude lou is awesome i do have to say i, I worry about his hearing like yeah it would be like it'd be like the heaviest metal band in the world like in a tiny room with like no sound barriers or anything and lou is sitting like one foot from the speaker just watching soccer not paying attention <laughs> to anything and it's like Deafening. Like it's like if you're saying outside, it's hard to talk to somebody and in lose. Yeah, could not be bothered. <laughs> he's awesome. He's a cool dude. He's he's a really cool dude. Yeah, I mean that's really cool. Do you have any other favorite venues that you've played thus far? I'm trying to think. I mean, I do love Will's. I love Will's, and I do love. We play High Dive is probably the and Gainesville is our like second most venue we play at um pat up there is a real is cool dude too and he like put us on a lot of shows when we first started and didn't have a lot of followers or anything um i mean i don't know i do love shows where they have like a legit sound system and monitors where you could hear yourself uh but at the same time in the like lose and grumpies where like you know, in the middle of the song, you can just like I'll like go into the crowd and just continue playing guitar and just like start moshing in the mosh pit while playing. Or, or all like no pressure with those small venues, which kind of lets you like do 
do more and be less less nervous to do do weird stuff, which I really like. For sure. Yeah, there's always something so charming about little dingy little venues like that. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It it feels it definitely feels a little real. Like I don't know. Like the people yeah. who are there are there because like the people who are there are there because they want to be there. They're not there because it's like a popular place to go or like you know ever if you're in Luz, you want to be in Luz. Like if you don't want to be yeah. in Luz, you're not hanging out in there, which is kind of fun because then everyone in there is like really excited to like open for anything. Mm. Yeah, I was uh I was just at this uh I've I feel like I've gotten to the point where I've shot almost every venue that's out there in Florida, but there's still a couple that were on my list and one of them was called Bananas Records in St. Pete and it was this really cool like this record store was like massive and they had like an endless supply of records but the stage was like this little tiny box with string lights hanging down on it and it was really cool because it forced everybody just crowd around in a half circle and just like there were people spilling into the vinyl um rows of vinyl and stuff and man, it was just really sick because at first, you know, there are people chatting in the back and stuff. But when the headliners, Holly Glenn, came on, like everybody was just jamming out. And like during their final song, everybody was singing it back to them. And like, I feel like moments like that, for whatever reason, just because the intimacy, like they feel really special. Like, hey, this band is going to mention this show one day on some kind of documentary, like you said. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, I got I ha- I never got to go to Banana Records. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's uh it's it's not really that far from uh every uh, from everything else in St. Pete. It's kind of by Tropicana Field, if you know where that is. Yeah, I know Daddy Cool Records kind of down there too. Um, oh, Daddy Cool is awesome. It's a cool place. I I I do love the St. Pete scene. I'm surprised, man. I gotta check out Banana Records next time I'm down there because that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was just super cool. Oh yeah, it it was just fun. And I say any venue where they have a seating area with couches, that's my kind of venue because I'm getting really fucking old. I mean, I oh, turned yeah. 22. What the, the, the I don't month think... and man. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Wait, how, like, how how old are you, Blair? I will turn 28 tomorrow. Oh, oh happy early goodness. birthday. Thank you. Special so birthday it's a, episode. It's my last day of 27. You're yeah. turning 28 on the 28th. It's oh, my shit. golden birthday. Dude, uh, Daddy Cool is so cool. I've only been down there once or twice. Egan, uh, my buddy Egan, uh, who's in Send and Delete, um, has acquired every single full-length album by Slaughter Beach Dog from Daddy Cool Records. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, not all at once, in separate visits, but still. Like, they carry some really, really cool stuff. Like, there's this... um, Saying smaller band sounds weird because I'm in a band that has, like, 100 monthly listeners, but this smaller emo band called The Frights, they... uh, I, I found a couple of their records there, too, and they're one of my favorites. It's just... It's a cool place. What to were be. they? What were they called? Sorry, I did I cut out for a sec. Uh, the frights. Oh, I lo- I know the frights. I knew. Oh, I, yeah? I used to. I hung out with Mikey the singer. I, um, no way. For a few times, they because they were on tour with this band, Jim Shorts. 
I like my brother. Everyone gets mad at me because I like make it a point to hang out with whatever band I see. Uh-huh. And like my friends get really mad at me because I pull it off more often than not. And so it's just like, you know, I reached out to Mikey and I was like, hey, man. And they, they were doing like a string of dates in Florida. And so he was like, yeah, come out to the shows. So then they played in, they played, I th- think they played in St. Pete, but they didn't have a drummer. So it was just two guitarists. It was just mm. two guitars. And, um, yeah, that was, they're, they're awesome. They have new, they're just putting out new stuff right now for the first yeah, time yeah, in like yeah. a really long time. They just dropped an album and it's, it's really good. I haven't I really checked like it out. Yeah, dude. It's called uh, Gallows Humor. It's real. It's fantastic. I really like how all of their albums sound like completely different from each other. Freaking uh, sweet. I do you remember I, what album you saw them on? I think it it was right after their album uh that Zach uh Zach Carper from the Fiddler produced. Uh the uh, one with the kind of orangish orangish peach oh, kind of cover. You're gonna hate this. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It was that it was right when that came out. Yeah, so they were still pretty and, small at that point. I love, yeah, I, I got in them because I loved, I was obsessed with Fiddler at the time too. Oh, yeah. Fiddler's cool. I freaking. So, Fiddler tattoo on my lip. That's badass. I got it like six years ago. They said it would go away in like a year and it's like crystal clear still. So I got my money's worth. Hell yeah. So uh, I'm curious. Um, you said when you were younger, you were really into like pop punk and hardcore. And that's the kind of music you were doing. Uh, when did you make the switch? Because, uh, like, Desert Angels, I always got, like, I don't want to say Southern Rock, because Southern Rock makes me think of, like, Leonard Skinner. Um, but mm. it, does, it does have a little bit of a country twang to it. Uh, oh, where, yeah. where, did that, where did that come into play? Um, well, Desert Angels, oh, there, a lot happened between when I was, like, when I liked, like, emo and, and like, punk and, I, I still like the, those kind of stuff, but when I was really into it was when I was like thirteen to fifteen, mm. and fifteen like fifteen or sixteen, and then when I was seventeen. Um, my friend Steven got me, showed me the Strokes, and then the Strokes like totally changed what kind of music I like. Oh, dude, was, the Strokes are awesome. I still say the Strokes are my favorite band, number one band of all time. They're like, even though I don't listen to them every day, like, but. They're just like mean the most to my heart and soul. Mm. Um, but it, was, it the it, the Desert Angels really started when um like all through college I had made some solo albums. I was in a band called Catch Fools with uh, Nate, who is the singer of the Amphetamines, and Stephen Fabre, who's the singer of the Hound, the metal band, and then Pedro, who is the drummer for the desert angels um we were in a band all through high school called catch fools that was kind of like psychedelic rock band and college um after i graduated kind of did our my own thing and made a few sad really sad uh sad boy indie albums under the name paper um and then it was like well I was kind of bored, and my least favorite kind of music was country music. So I was like, "Wouldn't it be so funny if I wrote a whole country album?" Because everyone knows I hate country music, and so I started listening to country music to do it right. And then I was like, "Oh shit, I love this now." And then uh, <laughs> so I wrote like I wrote like a whole album that I never released because it was too stupid and like a cliche. It was gonna be called Cliche Country, and it's like just stupid cliche country music. And then I was like, 
should write like real country music. And that's when I started writing the original, the first uh, CB Carlisle album, which is kind of the lap steel, sad, sad Western music. And then mm. Desert Angels came about because after a few shows opening, like playing shows, I realized that nobody listens to you if you don't have a drummer. Like, for the most part, like live. And so I asked Pedro, to, uh, I was like, will you accompany me like, just when I play these shows? He was like, yeah, totally. So we had one practice together, and Pedro's like the best drummer I've ever seen. Um, had one practice together, and I was like, screw this, dude. I'm writing all new songs, and we'll be a band, because you should not be wasting your time on these slow, sad songs. We got to rock. So then, like, within a week, like, a, within, like, two weeks, we I had written Sweet Violence, Bleeding Westward, and then a song called The Kid, and... uh covered good was ages ago that's from the cb carlisle but made it like super mm-hmm. hard rocking and then we were just like off to the races i was just we were just super inspired because i was just like damn i've never i haven't had a drummer like for years and so that's that was like the creation of the desert angels it was like a long multi-layered step process it's still just me and pedro mm. yeah i, I was that's... curious i was curious if good was ages ago was uh, solo song first, and then you brought it to the Desert Angels. Is that mm-hmm. is that how that went? Yes, yeah, yeah. That song okay. it's on the solo album, but it it's like unrecognizable because it's super slow and low. And then yeah, um, we just recorded it in the studio for this new thing that's coming out because we haven't released it as a Desert Angels track yet. So I'm excited because it's you you cut out toward the end there. What were you saying? Oh, I was saying, um, we just—that's one of the songs we just recorded just recently in the studio that mm. we're going to be putting putting out on this new thing, and I'm excited because it's like we haven't released the Desert Angels version, so all people know is the slow, sad version. Yeah. You want to hear a funny story about country music? Yeah. So, um, I'm a concert photographer. And uh, I I went through this stretch where I shot like six shows in eight days, and pretty much all of them were like metal slash hardcore, and I was like, man, I cannot do any more screaming music, whether it's in the car, whether it's on stage, like I just can't do it, like it's making my brain hurt. So I was like, what's the furthest thing from hardcore? And I went, country music. I'm like, this is going to suck, but it's what I need right now. And I'm like, damn, this shit's good. <laughs> it is good. The good stuff is good. You got to find it, though. Yeah, if you just go anything kind of pre-2000, it will be pretty good with country, yeah. I think. Dude, 90s oh, you're going to hate awesome. me for this. I've been listening to, like, 2010's pop country. Oh hell no! Oh damn! <laughs> Dude, yeah, I'm, dude's I'm pumping Keith special. Urban right now. Oh, oh no. yeah. Does it does it start with a K and end with the any Chesney? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not at. Uh, I I allegedly. Just no, tell I, me I'm you're not kidding. listening to. Uh, <laughs> tell me you're not listening to Morgan Wallen, and we'll be okay. Oh no! Crickets, crickets, bro. I I can't. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm all for guilty pleasures. I'm all for I'm all for liking stuff that people think's bad. That's like my whole life. 
I mean, I I, there's nothing wrong with that. That brand of country music, I know it's objectively bad, but some of it's really fun. I like, mean, that's like, that's like my whole point is that like yeah. I, I listen to like such serious shit all the time. Like, I hate myself. I want to die. So like listening to stuff about putting on boots and going dancing is like, oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, that is fun. It, yeah. it has its moments. That's for sure. Like revelation in my life probably like when i started listening to strokes was like realizing that it's not it's not like cool to just be sad all the time and hate everything it's like oh shit it's actually cool to like stuff like this is wild i could like be excited and happy and it doesn't mean i'm like a lame person because i was like so like dark in my head and like brooding and like oh uh i don't know i'm I, I'm all for that. My f- number one, like, listen artist on Spotify is Jimmy Buffett. He's, like, my number one guy. Oh, hell yeah. My number one. And we cover Margaritaville every show. Nice. That's a, even if we can only play, like, three songs, one of them is Margaritaville. We're, like, always covering <laughs> Margaritaville. Hell yeah. I, I really like The Strokes um, because... Like they can, Julian can be singing about something that makes him really mad, but the music is just so like, like it's just so like upbeat. Like a lot of the time, they they have some pretty angry sounding songs. But uh, um, what's what's the, I think it's uh, "You Only Live Once" off of First Impressions of Earth. Oh yeah, like Julian's pissed off, but the band is just like grooving. The Strokes are they're like so freaking good. They're Julian's a perfect match because the the band is so not technical and tight that they complement each other perfectly. Where like, and the guitars are all downstrokes, so mm-hmm. it's, it sounds very mechanical. And they like program, they like mix Fab's drums to sound like it's a drum machine, even when it's him. Yeah. And then it's like you don't have a solid foundation that you can't build a house on but the band is so solid that it lets julian like scream or do what weird falsetto or this weird crooning or like this strange auto tune on coming to the newer stuff it's like you know it's i i like could talk for so long about the strokes and their songwriting and uh, yeah. i have a theory that strokes saved rock music 100%. i mean i'd put i'd put them up there for like the whole like garage rock revival thing in the two thousands. They're definitely yeah. up there with band. You know, there's, there, there's bands in that same vein, like, like the white stripes. Um, and I guess people like to lump the killers into that too. And I think the killers were important, but I think that was kind of a different flavor, but yeah, the strokes were really important to bringing that sound back. The strokes, they like, we my girlfriend and I would just watched, um, Woodstock 99 documentary. Did you see that? I don't think so. It's freaking crazy. They like oh, tried I've to seen it, yeah. Try to redo Woodstock in 1999, but they did it on this like military base where it's like all concrete. There's no clean water. The bathrooms float and everyone basically burned the entire place down like it looked like the fall of Rome on the last day. And like the headlining bands were like Corn, Pull of Mud, Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit, yeah. Yeah, and it's like when you and like watching that and think realizing the stroke like this was the mainstream, these were the headlining bands of Woodstock. It's like all those bands. And 
few years later, the Strokes came out and changed rock music, but it was going towards like the rap rock like of the 90s. And it was, I don't know, I just have the Meet Me with in the Bathroom book. They like they have Karen O, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and all the people saying the Strokes basically opened the door for every indie rock band because even the White Stripes started, but the White Stripes hadn't gained the popularity that they like have until the Strokes opened the door and proved to record labels that indie rock bands like that were worth investing in. Oh, and yeah. you get, you know, like the Libertines and the Arctic Monkeys and just or Interpol. So many bands came out after that, which like have changed everything. I don't know. I'm sorry to derail everything about the Strokes. But oh, just, no, you're, you're, them. you're about to you're... send me down a rabbit hole now. So oh, like in this documentary, they basically blamed the entire thing on Lip Biscuit, like the entire place burning down. They're like, oh, we set up a really yeah. cool event, and but it's Lip Biscuit's fault because they encouraged all kinds of shit. But no, the security was poorly trained. Um, the sexual assault and harassment was pretty much rampant. Like people were just walking up to women and just grabbing them without any, without anybody doing anything about it. So like, I think they said like of all the people surveyed, pretty much all the women were assaulted that participated there. And it was just some really messed up stuff. And it's just like, man, I'm like, okay, I have excuse to like talk about this. And I'm like, man, it's just, it's really crazy that something like this happened like 24 years ago. Like that sounds like something that would take place like decades and decades ago, but like it literally just two years before I was born. Like that's nuts. Yeah. It's crazy. It's fun. It's fun to blame Limp Biscuit though. <laughs> They're I an easy you, target. I don't. I don't think it was Limp Bizkit's fault. I because it's like the freaking producers, the guys who put it on, like cut so much corner in terms of security and safety, clean water. And then, like by the second day, like there was no clean water. It was like a hundred degrees, and there was like the bathrooms had overflowed into like where people were bathing, and like it's like, dude, if of course people are gonna fucking go crazy if nobody cares about them and they're like trapped in this place for a weekend and it's i mean there's no excuse for anything that happened there it's insane but i don't think it was limp biscuits fault i think they just kind of i think they were mad too everyone was mad it was just a mad place oh it's yeah. like sodom and gomorrah in the bible i gotta i gotta swap out my headphones real quick i gotta switch to my bluetooth one so i'm gonna mute myself real quick yeah, so that's that's something that's really crazy. Um, I think it was really interesting what you brought up about like kind of like the revert. I feel like with that like mid two thousands revitalization of rock, it kind of it kind of almost brought it back like thirty years or so, and like brought some of that like the eighties influences while still giving it like a more modern touch. If that makes sense. Like, I don't know, yeah. like, a lot of the, the Strokes and the Killer songs really give me, like, 80s rock slash pop vibes, like, in terms of structure. Yeah, totally. 100%. And even the style, like, their style was back there, too, in the Strokes, like, they would walk around, they were, like, they started dressing like they were the biggest band in the world even before their first album came out, and, like, changed the style from, like, extra large jeans and, like, backwards hats of like the limp biscuits of the world and then like turned it back into like denim and leather jackets and you know i don't know they're i think they they 
definitely changed a lot. It's crazy. For sure. We should uh we should get back on track here though. We're not yeah, here. Sorry, this, is sorry. A, this is a strokes episode. That's that's not our guest for today. Maybe okay. one day that, though. But um Oh there there was one funny thing I, I, I thought about real quick that I wanna that I wanna talk about before we get back on track. Um I thought it was because re- we're we're talking about how like um like the differences in music and stuff, and I thought of like send and delete versus neverless because neverless has pretty much performs this reggae song called deo and i'm like compare deo which is a straight up reggae song to like egan and rumble and jonas screaming on the mic and crying and shit at a performing sad boy songs for sendily i'm like man that must be like a whirlwind for you a good way to uh it's a good way to describe some of the music by the way you hit it right on the head (laughs) right on the head (laughs) uh yeah it's definitely weird um being in several different very different sounding bands um i was almost i was almost the drummer for a metal band pretty recently Oh, really yeah dude and i don't play metal drums i i don't (laughs) know i don't know how to do the double kick man i can't do it my left foot doesn't work like that. And uh yeah, I um a uh, really good friend of mine, actually Send and Delete's producer, he's the bassist for that that metal band. And uh he was he, he would ask me like week after week, every time we went to the studio, like, come on, man, can you play drums for funeral plans? And I was like, I guess. Like eventually I agreed. Uh but luckily they had found a new drummer because I do not need another band on my plate right now. But yeah, definitely going from going from send and delete to sincerely yours to neverless. It's it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's really strange. Dude, do you want to hear something crazy? TJ, the singer guitarist of Neverless, he's filling in on drums for Discord Theory on Saturday. Like oh, that's yeah, the most that. that's the most wild shit. Like he performs every instrument except saxophone on their records, and I think that's crazy impressive. Yeah, TJ is an insanely talented thing. But anyway, back to step back to CB Carlisle. Jesus, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fun to go down rabbit holes. But um, Rumble, what was that song you showed me on our last episode? It had, I uh, it you, had you. Oh. I showed you protest song. Yeah, I'd like oh, to hear a little bit more song. about about the background behind that because it was a pretty cool video. It was like it was very serene. It had you like playing in front of a lake and stuff like that. It was really cool. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well, that video was where... That's where I live. That's right out there, out the window right there. Um, And that song was... Um, I wrote that song right when COVID started because uh, John Prine... Because, like, John Prine died of COVID and um, John Prine's one of my favorite songwriters of all time. And I remember being just super pissed off because, like, I don't want to get political or anything, but, like, the Trump administration just fucked everything up with COVID. And I remember just being super mad, um, just being like, there's so many preventable deaths happening in the America and in the world right now, and it's just crazy. People are telling people not to wear masks and do things. And um, so... Like, certain songs take really long and certain songs take really short, but Protest Song was, like, 
even like the first note I played trying to figure out what the guitar part would be to like finishing the song was probably 20 minutes. And I like wrote the whole song start to finish in 20 minutes and then I was like, damn, well that's a song. And um but I don't really play it anymore cuz people get mad. Yeah, I can imagine going to country bars and whipping that one out doesn't get very good reception. Yeah, have you seen the movie Green Room? I haven't. Oh man, it's well it's basically it's like a band uh, plays in the neo-Nazi bar and they play like a like anti-Nazi song and then they get like trapped in the green room and everyone's trying to kill them. It's like a horror movie kind of, but I'm like always scared Jesus. of that situation. <laughs> yeah, so that's really cool. I uh I just really liked it. It felt like that video felt really intimate and it made me want to check out more of your songs. I'm really glad I did. I really enjoyed them. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So um, if, if we don't mind getting uh, into slightly heavier area here, um, yeah. that's where I just heard the door open. Um, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm dealing with um, sobriety right now. And, you know, a good chunk of your album uh, deals with that, too. And uh, I was wondering if maybe you could uh, touch on that in your, in your journey with it. Oh, yeah, totally. I um definitely alcoholic. Uh but I am I have not drank in three years and five months now. Hell yeah, um, congrats. Thank yeah. you. It's been it's been awesome, truly. And like I don't know, yeah, the the C B Carlisle album does have songs like Good Was Ages Ago, it's definitely about drinking. I hate who I become when I drink. Um, and obscene, hot enough to melt an ice rink with words that I don't mean. And then a lot of songs are just about hating myself when I was drunk and drinking. And like, I was always scared to get sober because the cliche, like, I know it's cliche, but like, especially for musicians, people being like, well, if I stop drinking, like, will I be able to write songs or put like as good as I did? Because I'm so uninhibited that I can write the truth when I'm drunk. And then, like, after not drinking, like, all my songs got so much better. And I'm, like, look back on the songs I wrote when I was drunk, and I'm, like, Jesus Christ, this is so, like, self-indulgent. And, like, also just our shows. Like, now, like, I play, like, every show we play, it's just, like, even Pedro, my drummer, like, we, we're, like, don't do, don't do anything till after the show because we want to be in a clear head. But, and it's been a... uh though a lot of failed sobriety attempts you know before the one that stuck like you know the first time i really tried to get sober was october of 2019 and like almost had to go to the hospital throwing up like detox shakes fever and sleep for four days where i was like oh shit this is it's a little more intense than i thought it was gonna be this is a problem it's a little bit more of a problem um but, and yeah, it's just been a wild ride. But I would say, just don't even focus. Like, the thing that sold me, I remember my friend's sister was like, just do six months without drinking and see how you feel. And I was like, six months? Are you are you kidding me? I'm not going to go six months without drinking. And then, like, just uh, started thinking about it, like, oh, you just have to go one day without drinking, as long as that day is today, every day. But if you just go, like, if I go to, if I just don't drink till 
tomorrow and then tomorrow comes and we're like oh i just have to not do it today and then it just becomes second nature but it it took me probably a year to really feel comfortable at parties and playing shows without like social crutch you know so anyone out there if you hung out with me between february 1st 2020 and 2021 i was weird yeah Yeah. well congratulations man Three Thank years you. is a long time. I, uh, life is much better. It's crazy. Okay. So I stopped drinking February 2020. And then one month later, COVID happened. And I'm like, if I had still been drinking when COVID happened, I would be, I like live in a cabin out, like in the middle of nowhere. And um, I was like, I would just lock, probably have locked myself up here and just been, probably died. Like, yeah. no, I like have my own business. Def- I wrote a book. I have the band. I wouldn't have done anything if I was just getting drunk all the time. I like, I don't know. It's it's crazy how much time you have in the day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You wrote a book. I did it? Hasn't been. I've been going. I've been talking with a publisher for like a year now. It's been going back and forth about figuring out what we're gonna do, but. It's basically a historical, it's a non-fiction novel, like rewrote the story of a French ship that was like shipwrecked off the coast of Florida in 1766 and the 16 people on the ship, only three survived and they had to kill and eat people and they were double crossed by Native Americans. It's a true story that nobody knows. I found this story um, and it's super hard to read because it's written the last translation was made in 1825 and is translated from French. So I uh, just figured out it's in the public domain and I just rewrote the whole thing as a first person like adventure story, but kept it all the de- every all the facts the same. Um, Holy shit, excited. that sounds really cool. Yeah. Thanks. It's pretty, I'm excited about it. It's like, uh, I, have been going back and forth to the publisher pineapple press who's a cool florida publisher and we've been figuring out like they might want to just publish the original and have me do synopses of different sections kind of like a spark notes type book but we're still in talks but i might self i might just self-publish it and invest in it and like i'm kind of friends with a few kind of big instagram artists covers and stuff for for us so i'm like reach out and get like or five different like kind of big artists to do illustrations for it and make it kind of like a i don't know it's it's still up in the air but it's it's another that's really really cool thanks thanks i'm excited it's it's just kind of but like i said if i've just been drinking like i definitely wouldn't have done that i i don't know it's been and it's the number one thing I've ever done. I wouldn't it change. That's like, I don't know. I yeah, think I, I hope I will not drink before, like again until I die. But you know, you never know. But I can I can relate to that probably to a lesser degree because I I, I mean I wasn't like drinking for years and years on end. Um, but it was pretty heavy drinking for a solid maybe year and a half, two years. And I, you know, I was doing a lot of stupid shit. Um, but man, my life definitely did. Like, I started making much better decisions once I got sober. 
And um, the, the circumstances under which I had to get sober kind of suck because I got in legal trouble and I am oh. not 21. I, I am under 21. So they were like, oh, damn. It, it, yeah. They were like, if you drink and and we drug test you, you're going back to jail. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So I had to quit. Um, and at first was like, I, I was like, man, this sucks. Um, and I was only doing it because I had to, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but man, uh, ever since then, I, I miss it less and less every day. Yeah. I felt, I remember when I first got sober, like after the first month, I f- literally felt like I had been walking around in like a fog that you couldn't see like more than six feet in front of you. And for the mm-hmm. first time in like seven years, I was like, holy crap, I could see the world. It's like, it's just crazy. And I like yeah. drink, I drink like minimum a 12 pack every day for seven years maximum a 12 pack plus a fifth of jack daniels or jim beam or black velvet probably because that was cheaper um like you know i got pulled over three separate times like pretty hammered you know and talked my way out of it every time ever got into car accident like like crazy craziness where i was just like i felt I didn't even realize how lucky I was until I got sober. And then I was like, holy shit, I have like a second life. Like, I literally feel like I died and now I have a second life. Yeah. And it's, I don't Man, know. I don't know how you talk your way out of something like that. Because that's what happened to me. I don't and know how you just smooth talk your way out of it. It was hard. Like, one of the, the one that I was came the closest to was, it was also, I was not 21. Mm. And, um pulled me over and the guy, and I had been drinking it was the last day of classes that we had finished so I had been drinking whiskey since like 10 in the morning and this was at like 1 in the morning that later that night and then um I pulled over guy was like I don't have a breathalyzer but we're going to do the field test did the you know did all the different things he was like I know you're trash but you've passed everything 100% and then he did like the lights but he said I failed my eye test but I have a visual processing disorder and so um, I told him that was why I filled the eye test. I don't know if that has anything to do with that. And then uh, he was like, I know you're drunk, so don't lie to me. And, he, and then I was like, I, I have I had one drink. And he was like, well, how'd you get your drink? And I gave him my fake ID, and he, like, cut it up and gave it back to me. He said, this is your reminder. Never do this again. And I was like, yeah. but it was... And yeah, I got so freaking lucky because I've had a lot of friends who have not gotten lucky, and it's like, it is it is a royal pain in the ass. It's wild. I don't know what the statute of limitations on this is, but I don't come get me now. I haven't I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> okay, so I have I have two things. Um, one, we have an audience message. Oh boy, this is from me and Rumble's mutual friend Charlie, and he oh, says. That. Tell CB Carlisle, and this is in all caps, that his album fucks big time. <laughs> I, I showed my friend Charlie uh, your solo album. That's awesome. That's the goal. For, uh, we want. I we just wanted it to fuck. Big oh, time. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. That's that, that's awesome. I want to put. I want to do another CB just solo album so, soon. Soon. I have a few songs that are going to be on it maybe a little ep or something but thank you that's yeah. freaking so nice 
Yeah. And the second thing is, okay, this is going to sound kind of stupid, but it's not that stupid. But basically, I can relate to the tortured artist myth thing because, like, basically last year I went through some shit and I did a lot of dumb shit. And while that was happening, my photography kind of started to take off. And, um, yeah, I was like, man, if I'm, like, struggling so much right now and my art's becoming so good, those two things must be related. So, like, maybe maybe I shouldn't be taking my meds and and sleep-depriving myself and doing all kinds of... and drinking and smoking and all kinds of shit. But it turns out, when I figured my shit out, I can make decent art when I'm not, like, a hair away from insanity and yeah. not wanting to scream 24-7. So I can attest that the tortured artist thing is a myth. It's, it's totally a myth. I would say... If anyone out there thinks that I th like, there are so many great artists that were tortured, but I think that they were great artists in spite of their torture, not because of their torture. Like I always think, like how good could they have been if they weren't tortured? They probably could have been so much even better. You know, I I don't know. I think like people like make art as like like I said, like in spite of the things that they're going through, not because of the things they're going through, if they're going through hard stuff. And I don't know. Like I look at like Jim Morrison, like who I freaking love. And um, like I'm just like, literally, I was thinking about it all day today because today's my last day being 27. I'm thinking like, he died when he was 27. I'm just thinking, holy crap, like if I died, like the shit that I want to make is so much better than all the stuff that I've made before, before, and if, like, Jim Morrison or all these people who, like, burnt out, Kurt Cobain, people who died super young, people think, oh, it's so romantic, like, they just, they burned out bright and fast. And it's like, dude, what are the songs we didn't get to hear? Like, the stuff we didn't get to hear and the potential that could have been reached because someone was tortured. It's like, I don't know. I don't think it's a good, good message for young artists that they have to be tortured, you know? Yeah. It is romanticized a lot. Um, never mind. I, I was going to bring something up, but it is not really my business to talk about. So never mind on that. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely romanticized a lot. And I mean, I even I was like, oh, man, like I had that whole same mindset about it. And like, you're you're absolutely right. Like, I wonder what that next Nirvana album would have sounded like, you know? Ah. It's it's a uh, it's a little freaky to think about. Like man, like even like Alice in Chains and stuff. Like we only got like one or two albums where like Lane Staley could actually like hold himself up by himself. Like like hearing the stories about like the the Three Legged Dog album. Like Homie was even gone by that point. So yeah. like just to think about like what Alice in Chains could sound like if they were able to make, like, multiple real full albums with Lane Staley past, you know, the Three-Legged Dog album is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Even Elvis, like, as El Elvis's best albums are when he's happy and free, and, like, when he's young and excited and doing stuff, and then as, like, his contract at the hotel kept going and the colonel kept taking advantage, like, you could just see the life drain from his eyes. Like, Elvis is a perfect example of, uh, like, 
suffering not being good for your art. And Elvis is the king of rock and roll. So it's like, he, like, I don't know, it's, for every example of a tortured artist, there's an example of a really good happy artist who is still, like, alive and making good stuff, usually. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned a couple times that you have a lot of music you want to make. Can you can you talk about like some of the ideas you have that that you're wanting to work on? Oh man, I I have just too many ideas. Like, <laughs> it's funny when we were talking earlier about genre and like the playing on like a reggae band and a pop punk band, and then possibly a metal being a metal drummer. Like, I love genre and like messing with stuff. So like. Like I said, I wanted to write the country album, and then that turned into my solo album. And then from there, I was like, oh, when I do like a kind of Western Gothic rock music and kind of bring together a lot of elements that I love from like blues and Western music, which like the Desert Angels. I also wrote like a tiki, like an exotica kind of tiki album of like lap steel like hawaiian music that i freaking that i love like bossa nova like bossa nova mixed with exotica martin denny tiki music or there's i don't know there's just a lot of stuff i want to make a lot of uh halloween i have something i want to make this would be like a halloween ep three song like spooky album like specifically like halloween parties like scary sounds and different things uh we also have um, this Friday playing with a new band, our first show ever, called The Golden Boys, where we, um, a few weeks ago, it was me, Pedro from the Desert Angels on drums, uh, Mitch, who's the guitar player for this new band, Dadbug, who we're good friends with, who are awesome, Bryce, um, my brother, Danny, who's also in Dadbug, uh, Bryce, my brother, has a metal band called Ped House with Pedro and Danny. Anyway, a whole bunch of musicians, and we just went to Mitch's house and just jammed for, like, the whole night, not plan, like, didn't even know what key we were going to start in. Just someone would start playing something, we'd go, and then I found out afterwards that Mitch had been recording it. And made real songs out of them, and now we're having a show Friday, a totally improvised show. We have no idea what we're going to do or what even key the songs you're going to be in and we're going to do like jam if you're in the audience you want to grab the guitar and play a lick or like you grab the mic and do a little thing and that's kind of like a disco like pop rock band so it's very like i don't know upbeat and fun and goofy i just love making weird stuff and surprising people so super rad whatever i don't like now now, oh thank you it's going to be fun it's like the desert we're playing like Desert Angels uh, and Dadbug and this other guy, Alex, who's awesome. And then our, our like at the end, we're just going to do an hour of who knows who knows what. But it'll be fun. And it'll be a grumpy, so those, there's no pressure. Uh, when, when did you say that was? Friday? That's uh, this Friday, the thir- J- June 30th. Man, Grump- I am playing with Sir Lee that night. Oh, man. Yeah. No worries. Since you're... Early yours is awesome. They're awesome too. They are pretty cool. Oh, here here's something cool that Jackson you might not know about Blair. Um he's the one who recorded the trumpet on Sincerely Yours' album. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Thanks. that's really I sick. totally forgot about that. 
Yeah, you definitely did that. That's awesome. And the album sounds sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty happy with how it came out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy because I remember talking to you and talking to Jordan about that. And it was all very like last minute. This is a deadline you need to hit. Like I'm saying it to be mastered in the next three days and shit like yeah. that. And I'm like, wow, what the fuck? We were, <laughs> but we it actually were turned out really yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's really me, sick. I think we might have uh, touched all the bases. Oh, yeah, nice. I actually, I actually had, um, so I, so like towards the end of the episode, I like to think about the future and, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, but, um, yeah. So do you have any aspirations of any like big venues or anything you'd really like to do with your music? Like just in the future, you know, any, any real, any big dreams or anything? Um, it's funny. I trying to think like, I mean, of course I would love to play big, bigger shows. I would love to play. I mean, even though it's not a huge venue, I'd love to play the social because that was like my venue growing up in high school and stuff. And we still have never played there, even though it's like the same size as like venues that we play. But for some reason, we've never been able to play there. Um, future a cool thing in the future is like uh, pedro and I, I just recorded we just worked with friend mitch um recording a live uh unplugged performance at jack kerouac's house in saint pete um and working and uh working with the jazz board directors of the saint pete kerouac cast but working with the kerouac estate potentially about starting kind of a NPR Tiny Desk Unplugged Live Music Channel from Jack Kerouac's house. So that's probably the biggest thing in the future that I want to build and make and uh, have, have people excited about, too. Um, that's but, pretty cool, yeah. That was not a huge venue, but I guess the social is probably the venue that I would that I would love to play. Janice would be uh, uh, huge, but that would be way in the future. When when you say the social, where where is that? It's in downtown Orlando, um, oh, right okay. next to the Beachum. It's like connected to the Beachum. Okay, because um, um, like there's this place in downtown Newport Ritchie called the Social, and I thought you were talking about that place, and I was like, oh, you can shoot higher than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, it's yeah, like the yeah. Beachum's like sister sister venue. Like their websites are the same. Like in a it's okay. kind of, it's kind of the same size. It's maybe a little bigger than Will's Pub, um, if you know Will's yeah, Pub. Yeah, and and they also um, it it also doubles as a nightclub, I think, because I remember I shot you at the Beachum, and they had like a big line of people to come in, and people wearing all kinds of dresses and shit, and like, cause I mm. cause I think the Beachum and the Social are both big hopping places for the party goers in downtown Orlando. Hmm. Dude, the yeah. Beecham is rad. I saw I saw my favorite band of all time at the Beecham. Band. That would be the Front Bottoms. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm seeing them again uh, in St. Augustine in November. Dude, my brother and his girlfriend have tickets to that show too. 
Nice. I I love the front bottoms. Oh, bottoms that actually kind of reminds me of something. Yeah, they are awesome. Um, I I'm blanking on what song it is. Um, but it's on your solo album. Uh, and the first line is uh, it's 104. And is that a reference to 104 Degrees by Slaughter Beach Dog? Or is that just a coincidence? Oh, man. That's a great question. That song... Wait, can I talk about that song for a sec? Yeah. The song's called, yeah. Uh, song's called Torn at the Shoulder. That's and um, it's, that's probably my favorite song on that solo album. Um, I think it might be... Honestly, it might have been a reference to that Slaughter Beach Dog album, I, or the song, and I don't even remember that it was. Yeah. Like, I definitely had been, like, love that song. Slaughter mm. Beach Dog song when I wrote that song. But that song was a, uh, one of the, the only song I've ever written that's kind of a sequel to a different one has a song famous blue raincoat which is like what i think one of the best songs of all time and um it's basically like him singing to the guy that his wife cheated on him with who's his friend um it's there are like so many songs that are love triangles but this is like the first one where it's i've ever heard was the guy singing a song to the other guy who like wronged him he's super mad he's like knows that he i don't know it's like very complicated song that i love so turn at the shoulder is my attempt to be the other guy writing a letter back to him so if you listen to famous blue raincoat if you if you're a fan of that song listen to famous blue raincoat by leonard cohen and then listen to that song afterwards and it's kind of like a dialogue between the two guys and there's references to the first song and um because in in the famous blue raincoat he mentions that the guy that he's writing to lives out in the desert now so I was like, oh, the is 104, and her my floor, like, and uh, because honestly, I have no idea, but that I probably did get that from that Slaughter Beach song. Uh, song. Yeah, because I, I once I saw that the album was mastered by Ian Farmer, I was like, oh, he must like you know his work. And then oh, yeah. I made that connection. I was like, huh, I wonder if that was, I wonder if that was intentional. Oh, yeah. And that's not it's called Torn at the Shoulder because in the famous Blue Raincoat, he says, my famous Blue Raincoat was torn. He says, uh, the last time we saw you, you looked so much older. My famous Blue Raincoat was torn at the shoulder. I was like, oh, I'll just take the other line from that line and make it the name oh, of the okay. song. There you go. That's so, yeah, that, I, I'm, so that you brought that song up. I love that song. But people, people don't listen to it as much as the other ones. Maybe it's kind of, kind of weird, I, kind of weird time signature. Yeah. Doesn't, it, doesn't the time signature kind of change in the, in the chorus or something like that? Like the feel changes? Yeah, the, the verse is like a measure of 3-4, then a measure of 4-4, four, four, then two measures of 3-4 each time, and then the chorus is in 4-4, four, four, I think. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely didn't record it using uh, a master, no. <laughs> yeah. I um I feel like I have a different favorite song on the album every time I listen to it. Because like one that kind of passed me by always sticks out to me the next time I listen to it. Um so I I wouldn't be able to say what my favorite song is, but I do have a favorite lyric on the album. Oh like, that's awesome. when, when I heard 
when I heard the lyric, I literally I had to stop what I was doing and back up the song to make sure I heard it right because it genuinely blew me away. And oh, it was oh, um man. it was it was at the end of I'm Alright. Uh and it was the um the line uh, the Time oh, follows you and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time follows you I and me like a starving it. dog on Halloween. That whole that whole stanza there, incredible. Oh man, I do. Th- I have to say, I am really proud of that that lyric. You should. That's be. so awesome. I think the full. I love. It's a. Uh, time follows you and me like a starving dog on Halloween, not knowing it's a monster that it's chasing, who will give up the freedom of the street for a collar and a cage if that means eating. I'm like, damn, that's. That's a lyric that I feel like I don't even deserve credit for writing. Like it just came out <laughs> it's, of it's, outer space. It's legitimately incredible. When when I showed my friend Charlie your album, uh, that was one of the things that he pointed out was like, "Holy shit, that lyric is crazy!" And I was like, "Right." So <laughs> that makes me so freaking happy. I like it honestly doesn't compute in my mind that anyone other than my close friends listen to any of my music. Like yeah. anyone I mean, that I, I don't it. know, that's crazy. I found it through Jordan, and then I told everybody about it. That's that's just so nice. It's it really is crazy. Yeah, I, mean, to, I mean, to even that, think about that's anyone an album listening. That, that's an album that deserves attention. It makes me so happy. It's this is weird. I just can't comprehend that other people listen to the songs except me. <laughs> it is weird. It's really weird to think about. Like when I when know. Sending the Leads album came out. Uh, our our monthly listeners on Spotify shot all the way up to like a thousand, and it was like there's no way that many uh, people are listening. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it it is yeah. funny though. Like I I feel like Jordan and Rumble are the two people that just ride the hardest for your music. Like when I had Jordan Lily on for the first episode of this podcast. He mentioned you, and I swear he brings you up like almost every time I'm around him. Like he'll be like, "Oh, have you checked out CB Carlisle?" Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then when I had the send delete episode, I'm pretty sure Rumble brought you up as well. So it's just, it's funny. Like you know, like you do have some pretty diehard fans out there. So it's so awesome. I I I I appreciate I appreciate y'all so much. We have one. There's yeah, one man. person. I in, feel like- uh, sorry. I feel like I texted you this once, but um, your your album has become a go-to when we're driving home from a show, like Send and Delete, and we need something like chill and laid back to listen to because all of our heads are about to explode. It, your that's album is awesome. like, it's like a top three pick, at least. Damn, that's so freaking cool. Yeah. There's one person that I, there's one person on Instagram who we uh, named, uh, I think, Rowan, who's like this awesome awesome uh, kid who like reached out like you're my favorite band and then like every time i post a show they're like well, i'm gonna drive down it's only like 14 hours from me i'm like dude don't <laughs> don't do that i'm like like you do not need i'm like we will we will play we'll play shows we'll we'll, we'll travel someday but i'm like i would just feel so guilty i feel like there, i could never met measure up if someone drove so far to see us i'm like dude you gotta play a show in that kid's garage just for him 
That would be sick. That would be awesome. I'll do it. I would do like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're coming. I I say Desert idea. Angels and Sincerely Yours national tour. Who says no? Woo, let's go. I'll be sweet. I always want, I'm like never toured. I always have yeah. wanted to my whole life. I'm going on my first like real big boy tour next month with uh, with that band Neverless. I I'm stoked. I mean, dude as a non-binary just general thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about uh I don't know about anybody's uh, anybody's uh, I'm opinion sorry, on it. The first say, half of what you were talking about kind of cut off. Oh no, I was just saying when I was saying dude earlier, I meant dude as the non-binary just all-encompassing dude, not I just Taters, and I'm sorry. It's just like ingrained. No, you don't have to apologize. I just meant for for the listeners. You know, if anyone hears, I I I want to be abusive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. So, I like to wrap up our "This Ain't a Scene." It's a podcast slash Switch Stream slash whatever else you want to call it, a podcast type thing with a. uh, with a regular recurring question, we get some pretty cool answers. So uh, we've had some really great ones, some not so great ones. So no pressure or anything, but the pressure's all on you. Um, <laughs> what's your best sales pitch to check to check out uh, CB Carlisle and the Desert Angels music or come out to a show? Oh damn, sales pitch! Or um, your, or your or your solo stuff. Either way, what's your I best sales say... pitch for you? The listener, anyone watching knows from a from a listener comment that our my, our, my album fucks. And <laughs> um, I would say that if you're looking for music that feels really old and really new at the same time, and will hopefully age well and is not of a time but of all time, um, come see me and Pedro. We're just a two piece, but I have a big that doubles as a bass and, and uh, I write bass licks for I play on the guitar the whole time and if you want to see two guys just freaking rock out as hard as they can and see us hell yeah hell yeah I'm sold I got cancelled with uh, with J- J- Jordan for Friday I'm going to tell him I'm going to the CD <laughs> Carlisle show we do play a lot, what? so don't 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 feel like you're missing out. We play a lot in Orla- Orlando and Gainesville. Oh, cool! Hopefully, we want to yeah. play. If you need anyone down in the Newport Richie area or anything, any uh, openers, let us know. Okay, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. Meet me and Rumble are actually gonna go play at the. I mean, he's got they're they're gonna play at the Bull, and I'm gonna take pictures at the Bull on. Yep. Uh, on July 9th in Gainesville, so that's gonna be sick. Oh, awesome! Should definitely come out if if you're if you don't have anything else going on. Hell yeah! July 9th, I not sure. We'll see. I will. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm going no to an island. I'm going to Dog Island, the island where my book takes place, where the shipwreck was. I go like I go there. I'm going there the second to the ninth, I think. But I could check my calendar again. I might come home early. Awesome. Well, anyways, thank you for joining us today, CB Carlisle. It's been a blast to talk with you. And even though we went down some rabbit holes, I always prefer it that way. I don't like traditional interviews. 
I just did a traditional interview for my publication. It wasn't anywhere near as fun as this. So thank you so much. That's a good time. And thank you, thank you guys so much for having me. This is awesome. I've this is my second podcast I've ever been on, and I just marvel at the fact that anyone would even want to hear anything I say. So I really appreciate y'all having me on. It is is awesome.